Let's open God's holy word this morning. First Corinthians, chapter fifteen, is where we'll begin. Holy God, may we see you this morning. May the truths of Your Word penetrate deep into our hearts. For Your glory we pray. In Christ's name, Amen. There are deep mysteries in life that we don't understand. Yes, there are deep mysteries about the Christian faith that we will never understand completely in this life until we are in heaven with the Lord. And even there, we'll be learning about the things of God and glory, about the glorious nature of our God and the grace that He's displayed upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, throughout eternity, we'll be learning about the glorious facets of this salvation that we possess. Even in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul said, For in this life we see in a mirror through a glass dimly or darkly. We don't see all that God has before us. But then, as we sang that, that Keith Green song, we will stand before Him and see His holy face. But then, in, in eternity with God, we shall see Him face to face. Paul said, For I know in part here on this horizontal perspective that we live in, but then in the heavenly places I shall know just as I am also known by the Lord. So there's much that we do not know. But there is one established fact that we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt is true. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For he says, verse 3, For I delivered to you... And what did he deliver? He delivered the message, the essence of the Gospel. God used the Apostle Paul in a great way to give the different nuances and truths about this Gospel. He did that. So he, when God gave him the revelation of this gospel, he delivered first of all to that which he had received. And that is this fact that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried. Yes, He indeed died and He was buried. But that also He rose again the third day just as the Scriptures say, defeating death. That, brothers and sisters, is the fact. And that is the very foundation of our faith. That Christ has died and He has been risen from the dead. That's why Paul said in Galatians, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which you have received from us, let him be eternally condemned, anathema. May He be accursed. So today we're here to celebrate the glorious fact of not only the death of Christ, but the resurrection of Christ. Yes, we're saved through the perfect substitute of Christ. We're saved through the death of Christ. But the resurrection is that capstone. God's sense of approval upon His Son. That His work was absolutely complete. And these proofs were, were seen by many people. As our text this morning alludes to in verses 5 and verses 6, that Jesus after His resurrection was seen by Peter, and that He was seen by all the, the disciples at various times by the Gospel account, that He was seen by Mary Magdalene and by many other women. He was also seen by the two on the road to Emmaus. And also, our text tells us, 
In verse 6, and he was seen at one time by over 500 brethren. And they, for the most part, were still alive when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. So they were living. They could verify that they too, over 500, had seen the resurrected Christ. And then we're told in Acts chapter 1 that during Jesus' 40 years, 40, excuse me, 40 days after the resurrection, that He was here upon this earth and He did many, many, many things that were not recorded. That He presented Himself alive after His suffering by many infallible proofs being seen during those 40 days in which He lived. And this morning, Brother Ryan read for, for, uh, for us from Matthew chapter 28 about that very first appearance of Jesus after the resurrection. I'm going to look at that again briefly here in Matthew chapter 28. It was after the Sabbath day that, that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, that was uh, Mary, uh, the mother of, of uh, James the, the Less, went to the tomb. And Matthew gives us a summary of the great events that happened there that day. For the chronology, we have to look look primarily to Luke and some of the other Gospels. But we get the gist of the major events from Matthew. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. And He came and He rolled back the stone. How the stone was rolled back, not so that Jesus could get out. Jesus was already out. But they that the people might be able to see the glory of what had transpired. So, the Scripture says there that the angel, verse 3, his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angels answered and said to the women, a little while later on, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. Isn't it interesting that the angel told the women to go and look where Jesus had been? Because there we saw one they would have seen the grave clothes lying there just perfectly. Not mangled up, not torn off of Him, because when Jesus was raised from the dead with His spiritual body, He just came forth from the clothes. Just like He appeared in a room with the door locked with the disciples. He passed through the door. That's the way He passed through those graven clothes. And then another Gospel tells us that the cloth around His head was neatly folded aside and placed by itself. As the Son of God defeated death, He took the, the, the clothes away from His face and laid it down. As if to say, He's done. And walked away from the grave. No doubt that uh, the Scriptures tell us in John that when, as soon as John later on in the Gospel account, as soon as he entered the tomb, he looked also where Jesus had been laying and believed instantly that Jesus was raised again from the dead. No doubt he saw the grave, the grave clothes laying there as well. Many, many, many proofs of the resurrection. Not to mention the numerous Old Testament prophecies that predicted that Christ would rise from the dead. Jesus' own words that He told His disciples over and over again that He was going to suffer and that He would be raised again from the dead. But yet, even they didn't completely understand it. And we have even in the own, in the gospel account the the account of where the Jewish leaders tried to bribe those to go forth and tell a lie that his body had been stolen. Many proofs of the fact that Christ was raised again from the dead. 
You know, I can imagine though that those disciples and those women that went in and saw the grave clothes, I'm sure they would say, well, if indeed the disciples stole his body, why in the world would they have unwrapped the body and then stole the body? You know? know? Yes, he defeated death through rising again from the dead. And then also in Matthew 28, as the, the women were on their way to Galilee, verse 8 says that they went with fear and great joy. Jesus met them. And He said to them, Rejoice! And they worshipped Him. And then Jesus said, Do not be afraid, but go and tell My brethren. Very significant. That He says, Go and tell My brethren. He calls them brethren for the very first time since the resurrection. But you know, one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection, besides all these facts that I've mentioned, is truly the transformed lives which have occurred because of the resurrection. Think of this. The disciples, at one time, even themselves doubted the validity that Christ had risen from the dead. They had to to see Him. They doubted. And before Christ was raised from the dead, they were cowering, they were uh, trusting in themselves, they were not understanding all that was before them, they were doubting, they were were not not convinced, misunderstanding, and they were fearful. But after the resurrection, when the Spirit of God came upon them, they were bold and they preached the gospel with power and with conviction. All of them giving up their very life except for the Apostle John. God changed them gloriously and God changed many people. And God has been changing people by the power of the resurrection for the last 2,000 years. And we are here and we're part of that crowd. We're part of that group that He's changed. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Is that very change which the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection has upon us right now. Because of this death, burial, and resurrection, a dramatic, unbelievable, phenomenal, cataclysmic, can you help me with any more adjectives? Occurred in our lives. We have been translated into a direct relationship with the living God through the gospel. And now we are in a spiritual union with God Himself. That's what I want us to talk about this morning. And this union that we have with God is more than just an organization where we follow a leader. It's more than a deep bond of friendship. It's more than just becoming identified with a particular group or the acceptance of a religion. It's more than being affiliated with a group. It's more than the deep genetic blood bond that we have with those that we are in kinship with, with our families. It's a greater relationship than the creature-creator relationship. And yes, it's even greater than the one flesh bond between a husband and a wife. It is this understanding, and the New Testament mentions it many times in passing, concerning those who know the Lord, those who are in Christ. Those who are in relationship. Those who are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we truly join the Lord's church, not a particular assembly, we join it through repentance and faith, and we become a part of a living entity, a living organism, whereby we are a part of of Christ and His body. He is the very head, and we are members of that living organism, His body. He uses other metaphors throughout the Scriptures. That we are part of God's holy temple with Christ being the chief cornerstone. So we ask ourselves, wow, that's awesome. But how does this miracle union occur? And exactly why uh, 
Why is it that such a phenomenal union even does occur? Well, this morning I want to give you two reasons for that. The first, first reason is that it is because of God's plan. God planned it. And secondly, it is because God has provided it. God's plan and God's provision. The eternal plan of God, the decree of God, that was God's desire. It was not like God had any need for us to, to believe and come to know Him and to love Him, but God simply said, this is what I desire, and this is what shall come forth. Now turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews And if there's a place in Scripture where we get just get to have a glimpse of the divine mind of God, this may be it. Again, this is God's plan. Let's look at these verses now. In Hebrews chapter 10, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting, it was meat, it was good, it was, it was, was within the perfect plan and sovereignty of God, comma, for whom are all things, he throws in there, that all things, according to Colossians, were created not only by him, but they were created for him. All things are given to glorify God. For whom are all things, and by whom are all things. It was fitting for this God, whose who's, uh, glory is due unto him, who is the creator, it was fitting, it was his providential work to do what? In bringing many sons to glory. That was his desire. That was his plan to capture a people from himself and reveal his glory to them that they might be partakers of the very glory of God and to make the captain or the author, this is the Lord Jesus, of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Does that mean that Jesus had to really try hard in order to become uh, that perfect person? No. It means that the author or the, or the captain of our salvation, by taking upon himself humanity and suffering as, as any other human being and greater than any other human, human being, he was complete in that he related to each of us his fallen creatures. He completed the perfect course that the Father had assigned to him, which he willingly took upon himself and completed the task, taking upon the form of a servant and hurting like we hurt, having tears like we have tears, having pain like we have pain. This was fitting to the Father that he should come and walk as we've walked. For the purpose of, verse 11, oh, this is so glorious, for, to the end that, He who sanctifies, that's God, the one who sanctifies, the one who makes us holy, the one who comes and sets us apart unto Himself, this God, and us, those who are being sanctified. The sanctifier and those who are being sanctified, He called us to Himself to set us apart for Himself, for His own glory, that He might make us holy. And then he says here that the sanctifier and the sanctified are all... Look at that. We are one. We are one entity in the plan of God. For this reason, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He calls us his brethren. And by the way, we looked at that in Matthew chapter 28 a few seconds ago. That word was never used to describe the people of God before the resurrection. But after the resurrection, as Jesus said to the women, go and tell my brethren to meet me in Galilee. 
This was according to the very eternal, glorious plan of God that He and the sanctifier and those that are being sanctified, He calls His brethren and we come together into one glorious entity. Look at verse 12. Saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. Who were the brethren? The brethren were those that God the Father gave to the Son in eternity past. These were the brethren that were not the brethren that were going to be the brethren. You see? I will declare your name to the brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. Now this is a quote from Psalm 22. And that whole psalm up to this verse, Psalm 22, 22, is a very dark psalm. Where the one who is suffering cries out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he sees those tormentors all around him. He sees uh, the suffering. He looks at his own body uh, and the torment that it is going through. The suffering, you see. Predicting the suffering of the Messiah. Dark, gloomy, morbid. But in the midst of all that, we have this verse, verse 22, that the writer to the Hebrews quotes, in the midst of this, in the midst of this hell, this death, this gloom, this mocking, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of this assembly, I will sing praise to you. How is that? Because Christ is risen from the dead and He had the victory. And because He did that, He declares our names to the Father. And then look at verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in Him. That's a quote from 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 33 where David, after he was delivered by the hand of Saul, Saul was trying to kill him. David said, I will trust in you. So here we see this uh, on the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that Christ was trusting Himself to the Father. He was submitting to the Father as He prayed in Gethsemane, not my will be done, but thy will be done. That He went forth as the Lamb led to the slaughter. He opened not His mouth. He submitted to man. He submitted to His Father. He was placing His trust in the Father. And then in the latter part of verse 13, He says here, uh, Here am I. This is a quote from Isaiah. Here am I and the children whom God has given me. The initial fulfillment of that verse was related to Isaiah's two sons and the holy remnant that God was preserving under the Old Covenant to be a, uh, a blessing and a sign that God was going to be faithful to His people. Here it is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together unto Him when we, when we repent and believe the Gospel. And it is, as it were, when Jesus came and He accomplished His death and rose again from the dead, He says, Here am I and the children whom God has given unto me. So we're called here, this, this glorious union, we see these words here, that according to the plan of God, He was going to have sons and daughters. He was going to call them brethren. They were going to be His. And we were going to be that very sweet uh, word there, we are His children, the familial tie there, that we are a part of God's family. Why is that? It's because of the plan of God. That's why. The eternal plan of God. God accomplished this. We see something else of this. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Thinking about our glorious union, our relationship... With the Godhead, look at verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is, there's our word, in Christ, part of His body, in Him, if anyone is in Christ, in union with God, He is a new creation. 
God has done a new work in your heart. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Well, there's an evidence for salvation that you've really been changed, that God's changed your heart. Old things have passed away, and all things are become new. Now let's look at verse 18. Now, all things are of God. He's the sovereign Lord who has reconciled us to Himself. Now that word reconciled means that God has taken away the enmity that exists between you and God, between us and God before we were converted, before we became a new creation. He did away with that through the death of His Son, who was the perfect substitute who was the only one that could appease the wrath of God so that God can look upon us, His people, with peace. There's no more war going on between us and God. We're no longer estranged away from God. But because of the reconciliatory work of Christ upon the cross, He reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, And He's given us a ministry of reconciliation to preach the gospel to others. Now look at verse 19. That is, the Apostle Paul is is, uh, confirming things for us. That is, let's look at this verse, that God, here's the eternal plan of God, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Wow. That's a heavy sentence right there. You see, jam-packed with truth. A short, abstract sentencing, sentence truly enveloping the whole, the whole plan of redemption. Right there. There it is. God's plan. What was God doing? Well, all things are of the Sovereign Lord, and He has reconciled us unto Himself through Jesus Christ, has given us the ministry of reconciliation, Indeed, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them. This is the glorious good news, is it not? Because of His reconciliatory work for us, He does not see us as sinners. And He does not impute our sins to us. Alright? But, so where do our sins go? Look at this. Look at verse 21. For He made Him, that's Jesus, Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. For He, the Father, made Him who knew no sin, the perfect Lamb of God without sin. Here it is, folks. He made Christ to be sin for us. Through Christ's death, He reconciled us to the Father. And He placed our very sins upon Christ. It was fitting. It was me. It was according to the plan of God that He complete His task by what? By suffering for us, you see. You see. He was made to be sin. He bore our sins on that cross. That's when hell on earth occurred. You remember when Jesus was on the cross during those last three hours? It was dark. Total darkness throughout all the land. And that darkness was upon Christ. He was bearing our sin. He was bar- he was living in a way, somehow, some way, that he was separated from the Father in bearing our sins. You see. He became sin for us. The sins that were a part of life, our, us were being imputed to him. So that, finish the verse, we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ received something foreign to His nature, and that was sin. And through Christ's death and resurrection upon belief, we receive the very righteousness of Christ. 
when we believe. His righteousness given to us for our account. He balanced the books, you see. And all this was done. This was God's plan. Again, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing our trespasses to us. You see, this was the glorious plan of God to have us in union with Him. That was the plan. Well, now we see the provision. And that is indeed is the provision there in verse, in verse 20, 21. That He was the provision. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was only possible through God providing that perfect Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now turn with me to your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 10. For the death that He died, He died once for all. It's not like the sacrifices in the Old Testament had to be offered daily and that the Day of Atonement had to occur yearly because men's sins and the priest had to offer up sins for himself as well as for the sins of the people. No, when Christ died, He only died once and for all. And remember what He said, On the cross, it is complete, it is finished, it is accomplished. And the life that he he lives, he lives to God. So he was the perfect substitute, he was the perfect provision, as well as being the perfect example of how we are to live our lives. Now, let's look in Romans chapter 6 and verse 5. Now he's applying this to us. For if we have been... There's, a, there's our word that we're truly talking about this morning. For if we've been united, if we are truly in union with Him, together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of, this, of His resurrection. When we come to Christ, we, we, we trust in the One who died for our sins. We believe and we die to our sins. And because we are partakers of His death, we have the great hope of our future resurrection bodies. Okay? Well, that is all true, but that is not exactly what this verse is talking about. There may be an implication there. But he's saying, he's talking about our death and our resurrection spiritually. Look at verse 6. Knowing then that our old man was crucified with him. Who is the old man? Well, that's all that we were in Adam. That's all that we were when we were in union with Adam alone as sinners. When we come to Christ, that old self, that old person, that old sinful nature and tendency that was so apparent in who we were before we came to Christ, when we believed that person was crucified, he died. Therefore, knowing if if our old man has truly been crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should what? No longer be slaves to sin. A sinner without God has no, no choice in the matter. He can't do righteousness. Not real righteousness that pleases God. No, he's a slave to sin. But we who are in Christ, that new creation... We're no longer slaves to sin, but we've been called to be slaves of righteousness. Verse 7, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more death, and death has no more depend, dominion upon Him. See, Christ provided for us everything that we needed. And through our trust and belief in Him, we are united with Him in His death and His resurrection. We've died to sin. We've been raised to newness of life. Look at verse 11. Likewise, because of this, you also reckon yourselves to be indeed dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So, we praise God for this glorious Gospel. These, these facts that we understand. That Christ has died for us and He has risen again from the dead, securing our salvation. A few weeks ago, we looked at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, where Paul says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. For in that we boast. And it is through our relationship to Christ that then we see the world in a different light. And we say along with the Apostle Paul, it is through Him that now we understand that this world has been crucified to me. I'm dead to the things of this world. This world is a dead place to me. And I have died to the world. Therefore, we reckon ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God by the power of the Spirit of God. Today we celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday. It's very sad to me to think about all those that, first of all, do not believe this fact that we've looked at. They do not comprehend, they do not understand, many wish not to even think about the glorious truth that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and on the third day rose again. But yet, for so many, maybe many even being Christians, we really don't comprehend what happened, do we? We, many would look back and say, oh yes, Easter, that, that's the day that Jesus rose again from the dead. And they may give credence to that, they may accept that. But oh my friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't just look back at this as a, as a historical event. Because for us, in His death and in His resurrection, He accomplished then and there that work for us. That when Christ actually died upon the cross and He said, it is the Talistai, it is finished, it is complete, right then and there, through that perfect provision, we were saved. Amen. Yes, indeed. We became partakers of that salvation when we received by faith that reconciliatory work upon the cross. And then that work of God was applied to us. But make no mistake, brothers and sisters, we are here today honoring and loving Him and worshiping Him because of His glorious plan and because of His glorious provision that He provided for us. It is all of God. It is, it is all of God by whom all things exist and for whom all things exist. It is because of Him that we are in Christ Jesus today. Oh, brothers and sisters, we, we sometimes don't live up to who we are, do we not? You know, we were dead and now we've been raised up with Christ. And we have within us, by the, by the person of the Holy Spirit, one who has come to indwell us. And Jesus said it's imperative that I go to the Father, because if I do not go to the Father, I will not send the Spirit. But He's done that. He's been raised. And He says, when I go to the Father, greater work shall you, shall you do, because I go to the Father. Wow, it's like, you know, we read in science about potential energy and kinetic energy. Think of the potential energy that we have by the power of the Spirit of God who lives within us. The same Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And we've been raised in Christ Jesus. And now... You see, this is the glory. Again, this, this is the dramatic, the phenomenal, cataclysmic results of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that He who is the sanctifier and us who are the sanctified have been brought together in one glorious spiritual union, spiritual family. And God has achieved that. 
Nothing that we've done in ourselves. And because of this relationship, we should be crying out to God. Look in Romans chapter 8. We should be seeking the Lord. Look at, look at Romans chapter 8. And here's the results of the consequences of this glorious union that we have in Christ. But if the Spirit of Him, Romans 8, 11, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and we say as believers, yea, amen, He dwells in me, because if we have not the Spirit of Christ, then we are none of His. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give to you mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You see the direct link there. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. There's the proof that we bear the fruit of the Spirit. We live according to the Spirit. Those are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Papa, Daddy. We cry, Abba, Father, Father. Here are the children that you have given me. Here's the sons. Here's the brothers. They were given to God. And because of that, we can cry out, Father, Father, we are in union with You by Your grace, by Your plan, by Your provision. So you see this verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's the resurrection power. The same Spirit that raised Christ lives within us and He bears witness with us, the Spirit of God, that we are His children. Verse 17, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. And indeed, if we suffer with Him, if we emulate His lifestyle, proving that we're children of God, someday we, may, we will also be glorified how? Together, together with Him. And we, we will be partakers of His glory. It was fitting according to the plan of God, that many sons would be partakers of His glory. And God has accomplished that very truth in the death and in the resurrection of His dear Son. So He gets all the praise, doesn't He? He gets all the honor, all the glory. So, what should our desire be? <laughs> well, the Apostle Paul said that in, in Philippians chapter 3, and this should be our very desire. Paul said, my desire is to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Also to know the fellowship of His sufferings. That means that we, by the power of the resurrection, are willing to suffer as He suffered. That means bear a little shame, maybe maybe some mocking here and there. Who knows, maybe even give your life, as many have done that, to walk in His way. Conforming ourselves to His death. That was Paul's desire. Is that your desire? To die more and more daily unto sin and live more and more unto righteousness. What a glorious relationship by the hand of God that He has worked in us. And as we think about Easter, as we think about Resurrection Sunday, let us look at the broad picture of what God has done in raising up the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close with just a few more verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 6.
Without spending a lot of detail here, these next few verses, verses 16 through 18, are really a compilation of many of the Old Testament prophets. And it was their prediction. We're falling back a little bit into the plan of God. We see the plan of God here, God's desires, based on the provision that He was going to make. This is what God says that His future would entail for all of us. God said latter part of verse 16 that I will dwell with them and I shall walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people this was not fully realized brothers and sisters under the old covenant nor was it even completely realized with the disciples who walked with Jesus on this earth nothing compares to what we have now in Christ in this very living, viable spiritual union that we have now. Indeed, when Jesus walked upon the earth, He was with His disciples. But now He is in us and we are in Him. He dwells among us. He calls us His people. Therefore, He says in verse 17, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. He calls us, the one who is the sanctifier, calls us to Himself, those who are being sanctified, to live a holy life and to not live in those things which were unclean. And then he says, and I will be a father to you. There's this family relationship, this family union. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Right now, you're my sons. You're my daughters. Through simply believing this glorious gospel. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. was buried and three days later, rose again from the dead. He is your salvation. He is your righteousness. He is your provision. As Christians, we boast in this glorious truth. So if you're here today and you're trusting in anything else besides the perfect work of Christ upon the cross, you my friend, are under the judgment of God and there is no hope for you in this world nor in the next. You must turn from your sins, believe the Gospel, and be saved. And then you are united with Christ. You've died according to your sins and you will be raised by the hand of God. And now gloriously because of this great plan and this great provision. He refers, to, he refers to us as His very ambassadors. Can you believe Second 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. That we are now His children, His sons and daughters, but we are also His very ambassadors. That we are here to proclaim that word of reconciliation of our King and the glories which He has accomplished. I love the words of the Apostle Paul. He said, this is a faithful saying. For if we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for Your work of grace that You have planned and that You have provided. Lord, today I pray that we will go away from here with great esteem for You. That we will mull these things over in our head and we will reflect upon this great work that You so loved the world that You gave Your very Son. That we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. Father, we praise You this morning for Your glorious plan. We thank You, Father, for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Your dear Son. We thank You, Lord, that You have in included many 
in your Son, in His death, and in His resurrection. Father, help us to turn away from the deeds of this body and seek You more and more in the power of the Holy Spirit. That You might receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. For it's in the holy name of Christ that we pray. Amen.